Hi, Lovelink listeners. Sina and I are excited to announce that we are looking to expand our group practice and hire two part-time or full-time licensed therapists. As a part of our practice, we will help you build a full caseload, gain supervision in couples therapy as well as specific training in EFT and AEDP, learn the ins and outs of private practice, and have the opportunity to assist in couples and corporate workshops. If you're interested, please send a CV and cover letter to info at lovelink.co. Give up the idea that I'm going to convince somebody to change their mind. Let that go. Be curious and then then get my view in. But the thing mostly I've learned, if I connect, if I'm willing to listen, I'm looking for some common ground. Usually there's some common ground about some higher values. Then when I share my view, mostly they don't just dump on it. Welcome to Lovelink, your guide to love and relationships in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. This is the second time we welcome Dr. Bill Doherty on Lovelink. Dr. Doherty is a family therapist and professor in the Department of Family Social Science at the University of Minnesota. He is the co-founder of the Doherty Relationship Institute, helping couples on the brink and using his model of discernment counseling to work through ambivalence around breaking up or staying together. In our last interview, we discussed dating, breakups, and how to choose a partner. Today, we're thrilled to interview him about his latest project, Braver Angels, an initiative to bring conservatives and liberals together to combat political polarization. Using all of his skills from couples therapy, Dr. Doherty has successfully helped individuals and groups with different political backgrounds come together and respect one another. Thank you so much for joining us, Bill. Um, we loved talking to you last time at the Psychotherapy Networker. A few years ago, we talked about romantic relationships. But you've been working on something different in recent years, um, focusing on the world of politics. And we were wondering how you became interested in using your skills as a couples and family therapist to help conservatives and liberals to understand each other better. Yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. It's interesting, romantic relationships to political relationships, interesting uh, kind of uh, bookends here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I got into this just by happenstance. Uh, a, a couple weeks after the 2016 presidential election, do you happen to remember that one? <laughs> that minor, oh, yeah. Minor little, <laughs> just that a little. Minor, <laughs> minor little earthquake. Uh, I was uh, sitting uh, at this very desk and a colleague, a long-term colleague of mine who we worked in family, fatherhood things for a long time, David Blankenhorn from New York City, called me and said that he had been on the phone with another colleague of, of, of ours, uh, mine, David Lapp, who lived in southwest Ohio, south Lebanon, Ohio. And they were talking about how people in the, in the upper side of, of Manhattan and, and uh, southwest Ohio were feeling about the election. Uh, and uh, you could just imagine, uh, gloom and doom, uh, Earth is, you know, is, the world is ending in Manhattan, uh, and hope and change, morning in America, uh, in uh, South Lebanon, Ohio. And they decided on the spare of the moment 
to uh, invite 10 Hillary Clinton voters and 10 Donald Trump voters from Ohio to uh, participate in a workshop, a 13-hour gathering over a weekend in early December, uh, a few weeks out uh, of 2016, uh, and uh, to see if they could talk to each other and not just about each other. Uh, and uh, I said, oh, that's really brave. Um, uh, what were you thinking of doing with them? And, um, and David said, well, they didn't know, but they thought maybe I could figure that out. Because uh, I worked Big a task. lot with groups and I'm a therapist. <laughs> and I, I, I had this, um, uh, uh, this hope that I, I was going to be booked. So I got my schedule book out and hoping that December 8th to the 10th, oh, love to have helped guys, but no, but I happened to be free. <clears throat> and I said, sure, what the heck? Uh, and so that's, that's how it started um, with a very powerful experience of, um, of, of people in this small town uh, of uh, coming to understand each other, humanize each other instead of demonizing each other, if I had to say it in a phrase, understanding each other better. Uh, they, they, when we asked them why they came, they said, we have, we have a, a community to run here. We've got you know, schools to operate and hospitals and roads to build. We just can't keep fighting each other. And, and make this work. Uh, and um, so it was a really powerful experience. And I thought it would be a one-off, a great story, a great story. Back in 2016, I did this thing. But they didn't want to stop, and we didn't want to stop. I flew back for a reunion, and, and we just decided to keep going. Uh, and, um, and now, you know, five and a half years later, I've been 2,000 workshops, and, and this is all over the country. Um, wow. And so Braver Angels came out of that experience, and that's, that's how I got into it. By no big strategic plan, just by happenstance. And I just used everything I knew to, to design that workshop and others. Everything I knew from, from my couples therapy experience, from my small group process experience, everything I ever knew uh, put into this. Amazing. I'm so curious just to hear a little bit about the process you went through in preparing for that first workshop, because it sounds like, wow, that's such a daunting task. Here you're, you know, this this uh, polarized political moment and you're going to Ohio. And not and not to mention your own political beliefs, which I imagine you were carrying with you and, and coming in as, as a somewhat biased psychologist. I remember as a therapist sort of having all my own feelings and responses and wondering how I was going to approach patients who had a difference in political beliefs than well, I did. Well, good, good, good points, Simone, because uh, prior to the election, I had authored a therapist manifesto against Trumpism and got uh, 3,000 plus signatures of therapists from around the country some of whom were very prominent therapists, um, a manifesto saying that Trumpism is a mental health challenge to our country and it's a threat to our democracy and that therapy only works in a democracy. Mm. Um, and um, uh, and uh, so uh, I did media interviews uh, kind of representing psychotherapists. So I was in the, as strong into the anti-Trump camp as you can get within the profession of therapy. And when he won, I realized I, I, uh, that the 
and this invitation came, I realized that the world of the anti-Trump and Trumpism world would be well-staffed. But the world of healing the divide between people who voted for him and voted for Hillary, that red-blue, that was much more fragile. And that, that my skills lined up with that. Um, because red-blue is like a couple, right? Uh, and so, so I shifted. I deliberately shifted out of uh, resistance to repair. And that's the world I'm in now. Wow. So I definitely want to know more about this repair process and how you help people come together and have conversations. But maybe we can kind of pull back a little bit and, and kind of get a sense of how you understand why... America is so polarized, how it's how it's gotten worse. I mean, you think even since 2016 um, and why people demonize each other of different camps. Yeah, so a political polarization, um, according to the political scientists and historians, has been rising <clears throat> for about 35 years. Mm. Uh, we've always there's always some course. Uh, but um, it really took off about 35 years ago and has been increasing ever since. And a key here is that we're not talking mainly about polarized, polarization on issues. <clears throat> so it's not that we've, we have socialists and, and extreme right-wingers in terms of, of just policy. <clears throat> a lot of Americans are sort of policy-wise sort of in the middle. Um, but it's what, what political scientists call affective or social polarization, sectarianism, how we feel about people, the people who think and vote differently from us, um, uh, rather than mostly about issues, because there's always been issues, division and polarization. I mean, our country was founded on a huge debate about the, 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 the size and scope and role of the federal government. This is Hamilton and Jefferson. And that, that divide, liberal conservative divide, has been with us forever. And it's an important debate to, to, to have. Um, but what's happened increasingly in the last 30, 35 years, and, and spiking now, is that people who differ from me are uh, the other. That is, I don't understand them. <clears throat> They're incomprehensible to me. Uh, I, I, how many times have any of us said, how could those people possibly believe blah, 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 okay? And of course, they're doing the same thing. How could they possibly believe? So the, the first is this sort of othering. Uh, they're they're in, un, uncomprehensible. Um, the, the, the second is that they are unlikable and untrustworthy as people. Um, so I don't understand them. I don't like them. Um, <clears throat> they, um, they're hypocrites. Um, and then the third is that they are morally compromised. Okay, uh, they, they're looking for power. Um, they, if, if you take the abortion debate, for instance, they, they, on one side, they, they uh, happy to kill babies. And on the other side, they give not a rip about women's autonomy and women's bodies. Not a rip. Okay. Uh, and by the way, those uh, three categories, uh, uh, other um, uh, uh, unlikable and untrustworthy and uh, morally compromised. They come from a, 
important article by a psychologist named Eli Finkel and a bunch of other social scientists published in the, the journal Science in the year 2020. They, were, they pulled together a lot of that literature and they, they compressed the three core elements of polarization into those three. And, and they are about not how we feel about a political leader, you know, Trump, Pelosi, Biden, whatever, but how we feel about the 70 plus million people who voted differently and who will vote differently each time. Uh, how do I feel about them? How do I feel about family members, extended family members who are, are on the other political side? Um, so it's, it's, um, so th that, that's, that's the way that uh, I characterize what this polarization is, and it's, it's really toxic. And, and what is it about our human nature that makes us, just from, I don't know, from an evolutionary standpoint, that makes us feel so threatened by this other group who we don't, you know, we don't trust them, we assume a lot of malicious intent. Uh, it, you know, it really strikes me, both within myself, but also in what I see in, in other people, how, how much emotion gets stirred up by the group that's yeah. different from us. <clears throat> Well, as you said, this no doubt goes back to our evolutionary origins, you know, that our communities were probably 100 to 150 people, and the other tribes, the other communities were perhaps r scary to, and threatening. And so we, we kind of evolved uh, to have uh, an other out there who you didn't just walk up to a complete stranger from another another tribe another community without you know if you did that too freely you maybe got killed and you didn't pass your genes on to the next generation <clears throat> so there is something in human nature about this however um, uh, it, there are social factors and political factors that call this forth or diminish it okay so you, you have uh, countries uh, like uh, Yugoslavia who held together for a lot of years, uh, and then communism left, and then you had the Croats and the Serbs and everybody fighting each other, the, the calling forth of old rivalries, old othering that had, had been diminished. Uh, so, <clears throat> so in the U.S., what, what the, the uh, political scientists suggest is a whole bunch of, of factors that have converged in the last 30, 35 years to exacerbate something that's always there in potential. So your point is that there's always the potential. Um, uh, you, you just choose volleyball sides randomly and you can get people at each other's throats, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is in us, <clears throat> but when the social system uh, contains it, redirects it, uh, then we're in better shape. But what's happened uh, in the last, you know, 30 plus years is that we've had, um, uh, a, a, a rise in political identity being more salient than other forms of identity. Uh, so when I was growing up, religious identity uh, was huge where I grew up, you know, Irish Catholic. Um, uh, and an intermarriage was marrying a Protestant or a Jew or, or you know, heaven forbid, something worse than that. Um, uh, whereas now, starting about 35 years ago, marrying across political parties is more threatening. Uh, so, so politics has gotten in our identity, partly as a function, they think, of 
decline in civic participation in social trust. So we've had these big declines in how much we regard <clears throat> the world around us as trustworthy, how much we regard institutions as, 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 uh, as trustworthy and reliable. So we have this atomization this, uh, of, of people, uh, uh, you know, leaving, people don't join the PTA in the way they used to, the League of Women Voters, a big decline in social participation. Um, at the same time as political identity becomes more salient, okay? So you, you don't have as many <clears throat> cross-cutting identities, okay? You're, you're not <clears throat> the, the, the treasurer of the PTA with somebody, you're a Democrat, that person happens to be a Republican. <clears throat> you're, you're more, you're not doing that, you're more in a profession, maybe even a, in, a, in, in a company, uh, in a religious orient group, that is more sorted, S-O-R-T-E-D. We've sorted uh, by red and blue. Um, uh, neighborhoods, towns, uh, <clears throat> professions. We talk about the world of therapy. It's an almost entirely blue profession, okay? And the reds or conservatives sort of hang out, or, you know, they hold back. Uh, so you, you, your friendships uh, based on this. So we've sorted ourselves and we have this rise in this globalization that has left a lot of people behind. There's been uh, elites who have benefited from this, and a lot of people have, have lost livelihoods in the manufacturing sector, uh, and they, they feel left behind uh, and feel resentful of the elites who, who are making it. Uh, the elites who are for large-scale immigration were... Um, uh, non, quote, non-elite people feel like their jobs are threatened. Whether or not that's accurate or not is another story, but people feel it. We, <clears throat> whenever you have mass immigration in a country, and we've had more immigration in the last uh, 20, 25 years than we've had in over a century, in any country that is mass immigration, you have social unrest um, everywhere. And this is happening in Scandinavia. You know, it's happening everywhere. It's just hard on a country. Uh, and I'm not saying it's not worth it, but it's, it creates social unrest. It creates inside outsiders. And then you can have political leaders take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. um, okay, um, social media. Social media is an accelerant of, of, of conflict between groups, an accelerant of it. And so you, you have the rapid spread of, of the, the, the worst accusations against people of the other party. When I was young, you, you, the only way you spread this stuff is you had to uh, do mimeograph machines and, and, and run off your, your nasty stuff about somebody. You had to have envelopes and lick the envelopes and put a stamp on it, and you paid your money, you send it out, and now you can just send out a meme that just spreads around the world. Uh, and so lots of other factors we could talk about. Oh, uh, the last one I'll mention is the uh, media outlets. Um, uh, you, could, you choose your media outlet according to your political views. So you get information that, that is consistent with your political views, uh, and you don't get information that's inconsistent with it. And so we lack shared facts. Yeah. We lack shared information upon which to make decisions because we, our sources through social media and, and other media, our sources of information put us in di different informational worlds. So that's just a few reasons, simple reasons. And I mean, as you're going through it, I'm like, oh, it really makes sense why people are living in so much fear and how easily we become polarized. 
You know, it's a perfect storm of stuff. It's everything kind of compounds against the other. And so, yeah. yeah, you have a kind of culture of untrustworthiness, and then you have social media, you have these news outlets, you have a president who's very polarizing. Everything just sort of builds on top mm. of one another. Yeah, so when you talk about president, this has been rising through multiple administrations. Okay, so it starts back in the Clinton years, uh, and it's happening around the world. I mean, think about Brexit in, in, uh, in Great Britain, for example. So this is happening, it's happening in Scandinavia, you know, look at the Swedish elections. Um, so we have a phenomenon that is not, um, uh, that an individual politician like Trump can be a further exacerbator um, and actually comes out of that. In other words, it's, it's hard to know how much he contributes versus he's, <laughs> he's an effect of it, but also an accelerant. Um, and so when I talk about this in community settings, where I ask people to reflect on the, the sources of polarization, I always say, stay away from assigning the main responsibility to, to any particular political party, any particular politician, because it's going to cross administrations and it's happening in countries where that don't have Republicans and Democrats. So these are larger, these are larger forces yeah. that are making us strangers to right. each other. Yeah. So you set out such a nice framework, I think, for understanding why there's this political divide, why there's this polarization. So walk us through a workshop and, and tell us how you help people have these conversations when, I mean, like, as you mentioned, different news sources can almost bring such different kind of, it's like mm -hmm. you're speaking two different languages to one another. So what happens in well, these workshops? Uh, yeah, so a big thing is you, you, you avoid starting with policies that people have different information about, okay? Uh, so um, you, you go deeper than that. And, and that's why it's like therapy. You, you, if people have like a couple has content issues they come in with and you just don't stay at the level of, well, let me help you negotiate the, your chores, okay? You know, no, what, what's behind that? What's behind your, 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 your differences here? So um, our, we have a number of workshops. Uh, our signature workshop is we call the red-blue workshop. Uh, so we say red means you lean, you, you lean conservative, you tend to vote more for Republicans and Democrats. Blue is you lean liberal and you tend to vote more for, for uh, Democrats and Republicans. Um, and, uh, and so you have uh, eight and eight um, uh, for a workshop, and, and these can be either uh, three hour or all day. Um, and um, it begins with, um, you know, a statement of goals about why we're here to understand each other across differences, to get beyond stereotypes of each other, um, to find common ground if it's present, and to learn something that could be helpful to our communities in our country. Those are the goals. Um, and then we have people introduce themselves uh, their name, where they live, and, uh, and in one minute or less, uh, why they uh, chose to come to this workshop. And of course, they've read about what it's about, uh, but uh, the, it starts off, again, this is like therapy in a sense of, tell me why you're here, tell me what you, know, what you want to get out of this. Uh, and, um, and so people do that introduction. We have them seated round tables, red, blue, red, blue. Okay, so you're always sitting next to people mm -hmm. who are different from you politically. Um, and, um, uh, and there's little red or blue placards in front of them and their name tags are in red or blue. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and for the most part, people express 
their worries about the country and about the divisions. And as they're showing up in their families, in their communities, and they're there to try to learn something that can help with the division. So usually they're coming for the right reasons. Uh, then we do ground rules. Um, and uh, some of the ground rules are you're speaking for yourself, not for another organization. A big one is that we're, not, we're here to listen and to explain ourselves, not to convince anyone to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's actually the first ground rule. And we get to the clinical stuff later, but that's a huge part of the clinical thing, that people in a family and a couple set out to change somebody's mind in something very basic to them, and it's a failure right from the start. It never works. Um, it never works. Um, and then uh, we get their agreement to uh, follow the process that's laid out, um, sticking to the agenda as it's presented and the exercises. And we ask permission for the moderator to intervene gently when people veer off. And so we, we, we uh, then hold people to what with the, the process that, that, that's to follow. We don't let chaos break out and people... Um, okay, so the first exercise uh, is a stereotypes exercise. And, and that is that uh, uh, people in uh, Reds and Blues go to separate rooms. They come up with the, the, the top five negative, false, exaggerated stereotypes that they think the other side has of their side. Mm-hmm. If I'm with the Reds, what, what do you think Blues think of Reds that is stereotyped, that's false, exaggerated, negative, uh, and they, they brainstorm, the, the, and then they vote on their top five, and then the, each group is doing it, and then they do two things with the, their list. Um, uh, uh, and Oh, I should tell you what comes up on the list most frequently. The Reds believe that the stereotypes held of them by the other side, racist, that's always first, um, uh, 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 racist, um, uncompassionate to people who are needy, um, anti-woman, um, anti-science, um, Bible thumpers, okay, uneducated, um, blues come up with uh, arrogant and elitist into big government for its own sake, unpatriotic, anti-religious, um, uh, um, uh, uh, unconcerned with free speech, unless it's politically correct. Snowflakes, hypersensitive snowflakes. Okay, so we just urge people, and we say frame it in uh, ba- baby killers. Mm. Okay, we just urge people to put it out there, say it bluntly. Okay, and then each side has a separate facilitator, moderator, and they go through two steps. One is for each of those stereotypes. If you think it's wrong or exaggerated, correct it. What's true instead? So if you, they think you're racist, then articulate what you do believe about human equality and dignity. So to that. And then the second question is, is there a kernel of truth in the stereotype? Mm. And that's a, this is a key to this workshop because we're looking for humility and we're evoking that. Uh, and w- this is how we describe uh, uh, a, what a kernel of truth would be. Uh, it could be true of a subset of your group. It could be true historically, and it's, it's carried over. It, it could be uh, a blind spot, something your group doesn't pay that much attention to. Uh, and it could be, uh, the fourth one would be, in the heated rhetoric of public debate, your group can come across this way. Mm. Okay, And so uh, each group is coming up with its stereotypes, corrections, 
and kernels of truth. And then um, the moderator nominates somebody from each group who seems to get it and who particularly gets the kernels of truth. Uh, and we come back together and somebody from each group presents their, their stuff to the other side. And as people are listening, they're to be thinking of this two-part question. Um, uh, 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 what did you learn about how the other side sees themselves and did you see anything in common? Hmm. So what did you learn about people see themselves and did you see anything in common? And so they present and then red blues get in pairs to process that two-part question and then we go around the table sharing. And what do you hear from them with those with those questions about what um, you learn about how the group sees themselves and, and what you have in common. Yeah, uh, uh, people see the other side as more nuanced, as more, um, um, particularly when, uh, so um, um, so the, the, the stereotype of not caring about poor people and people in need, um, to say uh, it, it, we, we do, and, and we, we, we emphasize less government uh, 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 policies and so on, then private sector and individuals, and they may mention the fact this is actually true, that conservatives actually give more money to charity than liberals do. Um, uh, and, and that they're concerned about the side effects of government policies. But and the kernel of truth is that they often are not paying enough attention to the effects of poverty and and uh, and as sometimes with an unrealistic belief that all the ships will rise if the you know if, if the economy goes well um, uh, for blues uh, often they cop to the arrogant elitist a bunch of know-it-alls um, uh, and uh, uh, and how the unpatriotic how they can get into being critical of the country but never say anything positive about mm -hmm. the country but they'll affirm we do love this country and and we don't say that enough mm -hmm. because we emphasize uh, you know, the negatives. We say that the, the negatives are part of loving the country, but we don't say enough <laughs> what we see as positive. Anyway, so what happens is people do go, these ahas, this other group are more complicated than the stereotypes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and so that's a powerful exercise. Yeah. And we start out not with some, you know, easy thing like, boom, it gets out. This is why I put it in. This gets out on the table the worst stuff that people say about each other, but in the safety mm -hmm. of saying this is, you know, each group articulates it differently. They already have all of these assumptions that the other people are thinking of, and that's what kind of contributes right. to the demonizing. And I love, right. I love that it both is self-reflective, like how do we contribute to this perception, but also yeah. cultivates compassion for the other group for seeing maybe some of them in these stereotypes. Yeah, so that's, that's right. Okay. When, when, when they land the stereotypes, and this is part of the training of the moderators, to hold people to that. Because the stereotype, the, the kernel of truth, that's what I meant to say, the kernel of truth has to make you wince. Mm. It's something you regret. Mm. So for example, a red group I led once uh, said, um, not all reds are racist by any means, but most racists are reds. And this is troubling mm -hmm. to us. What What is it about our side that is attracting these people? It's very troubling. Mm -hmm. I imagine there's such a softening that can happen in each of the groups when they feel that sense that each group is acknowledging, taking accountability for those kernels of truth. 
you know that that they're not they're not totally crazy there is something there there is something there you know and they're owning it right exactly and and uh, so for instance another moment was when the blues uh said about the stereotype about big government for its own sake the correction of the stereotype is we believe in social responsibility we think some some problems really it can only be addressed by by government and and this is part of creating equal opportunity and then I still remember one group saying, but we are better, this is the kernel of truth, at putting new programs into place than we are at about, about evaluating and seeing if they're still working and removing ones that are not working. Mm. And so once things get in there, they go on forever. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody says that, the red is going, this, is, this person makes sense. Right. Okay. They, they, they're not occupying a different world right. uh, than I am. So that's the first exercise. It kind of also shows that people are much less extreme than the perception that actually, I mean, I don't know if this is also part of it, but that people are more alike than they think. We want to fight poverty. We want to help um, people get back on their feet, raise the, better the economy, have more jobs, like all of this stuff that people share. It's just framed in such different ways or implemented in such different ways. Well, implemented. So that's the big thing I've learned uh, from, uh, you know, these doing these workshops is that at the level of aspirations and core values, there is much less discrepancy than at the level of policy. Most people want all of our children to be well-educated, everyone to have access to quality health care. How we get there, we differ a lot. So what happens is in these workshops, we, we get them, we don't start with this till we have universal health care, okay? Um, you know, government-sponsored health care. Um, uh, uh, people, uh, you know, can, can uh, talk about what their values are. So let me go to the second exercise, which is a fishbowl exercise. And this is a classic small group dynamics uh, thing that I, you know, learned many, many years ago when you have two different groups. Uh, one group, you flip a coin. One group is as chairs in the middle of the circle. By the way, we, we learned all of these online too, on Zoom, okay? Because you, you can have people on the screen and everybody's off the screen. Uh, but uh, talking about it face-to-face. Um, so you have your eight reds, let's say, in, in the group with the moderator. And the blues are sitting in an outer circle observing, listening, and learning, but not participating in any way, verbally or non-verbally. So it gives you a chance to listen to a group who are different from you, talk among themselves, not arguing among themselves, talking among themselves, with you listening and not, ha- not exchanging, not, not preparing your response. Not, and so the two questions we ask uh, is, the first one is, why are your side's values and policies good for the country? Why are your side's values and policies good for the country? And the second is, what are your reservations or concerns about your own side? Your reservations or concerns about your own side. And so the first one gives people the chance to say why conservatism can, is, helps our country, uh, that it, it allows individuals to flourish and to take opportunities and, um, and, um, and to, you know, to have a... a uh, to, you know, a stress on liberty, uh, a stress on allowing the uh, the kind of creativity that capitalism can unleash, um, where people can run with ideas and create jobs for other people, um, and so th- they'll talk about those things. Uh, and then, uh, and then, then the what are your reservations or concerns is the humility question. Okay, and I remember a, a, a guy who gave the most beautiful articulation of how conservative principles, policies, can alleviate policy. 
uh, poverty, excuse me, poverty. And here's what he said, and he's accurate about this, that, that um, new forms of capitalist enterprise have lifted more people across the world out of absolute poverty than any government aid system ever possibly did. And this has happened in Africa and other places where the microeconomy comes in. You know, cell phones have allowed people where there's no infrastructure to, to communicate and create small businesses and, you know, small business loans. And so he's absolutely accurate about that. You, you, you free up people's ability to, to innovate. Um, and then in the kernels, excuse me, in the reservations of concerns, he said, a concern, a reservation I have is that, that people on my side often don't pay enough attention to the people who are left behind in that process, that not all the boats rise. Uh, and we often um, lose our values and our compassion and our messaging when we say, well, it'll just sort of happen. And we, we don't do enough for the people who, who fall behind. And so you're a blue listening to this. And you get this idealism, and in your mind you're thinking, well, it's more complicated than that. And then he nails the complication. Mm -hmm. And then Blues will talk about um, acceptance of diversity, of, 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 of the freedom to, to have different kinds of uh, ways of being sexually and gender and lifestyle, uh, compassion for the poor, creating opportunities for, for everyone, leveling playing field. Um, uh, uh, the importance of government uh, being proactive. But then they will say things like, we, we stifle people's speech if they don't use the words we like. Uh, and we, we put people down, we, we moralize these things you know, that we believe in and we communicate to people that they're evil. If they, and this is terrible when we do this kind of thing. And the Reds are going, well, thank you for that, <laughs> okay, in their minds. And then the same process, pairs, red blue pairs, and then around the whole group. What did you learn about how people on the other side see themselves? And did you see anything in common? Mm. So can you see, you know, I can go on, there's more exercises than the rest of it. Like it's a question and answer exercise and other things. But those are the two kind of core ones. Uh, and and they, uh, when people nail those, and they usually do, I mean, it's really, it's really powerful. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, and when you, I mean, it sounds very, very powerful. And I wonder, how do you prevent people from getting too much into content? Because it seems like there's this delicate balance of, yes, you're talking about, let's say, how conservatives or liberals, um, how, the, how their policies are good for the country. But you don't want to get into the, the, too much into the, the facts or the details, because then you could just be having... Uh, a discussion about that and not really getting at the core right, around values right. and so I wonder yeah. as a facilitator how do you how do you manage those situations that's the, what the yeah. training is that's what the training is and we and um, uh, and and we train the, the moderators to people veer off to bring them back and they've given us permission mm -hmm. to do that and so it's 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 uh, you say so I hear you on that Sina and you have a lot to say on the specifics of healthcare right now I want to go back to the question about um, the general question about how your side's values and policy are good for the country. I'd like to hear from somebody else who hasn't spoken yet. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's, it's group mm -hmm. facilitation process. Uh, uh, but the structure uh, holds it. Now, I'll give you one other 
part of the ground rule for the fishbowl. You speak only about your own side. You do not do comparisons with the other side. You do not mention the other side. So one of the things that both groups often talk about reservation concern is money and politics. Okay, a lot of regular people do not like all this money out there, you know, supporting politicians. Nope, they don't like it. And, and what we say in the instruction is then, you know, don't say, well, both parties do this. Talk about your own, only your side, only your side. Can you see this as something a big part of my couple's therapy is don't speak for the inner psyche of your spouse or partner. Yeah. Speak for yours. You, could, you know, stay on your side of the boundary. So we enforce the boundaries. Uh, and uh, so it's all part of the training. We invite you to spend the next few moments to just listen. Brought to you by Non, spelled N-O-N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. So this is a very highly structured workshop. I wish everyone in America and maybe the world could take this because I think it would just help with perspective and understanding and compassion and connection. How do you, I mean, it sounds like a lot of people want to take this workshop because they have family with different beliefs, different political identities. I mean, how, how can they bring with them? How can we learn from these workshops and take that into the wild? Yeah, well, we have a whole series of other workshops in, we t in which we teach the skills of how to communicate across difference. The Red Blue is an experiential workshop. Uh, but we have a workshop called Skills for Bridging the Divide. We have one on families and politics. Mm. Uh, we have uh, one on depolarizing within, how to depolarize within yourself, and how to intervene with like-minded people when the conversation veers into demonizing the other side. Mm. Well, interesting. Great. Okay. We have a specialized workshop on being red in a blue environment and being blue in a red environment. Um, so we've got lots of, lots of other ones that, uh, where we teach people and then they get to practice the skills. One of the things I want to say, by the way, is that we, we've attracted academics to this now and we now have research evidence uh, based on a randomized controlled trial that the Red Blue Workshop does work. It does depolarize people and that, it, that the, the effect continues no, over great. time. So it's nice, nice to know. You're doing important work. Like this is really what the country needs right now. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, and and it's expanding because we've we, our new initiative is uh, is uh, what we call braver politics, and so we're now um, interacting with uh, local political elected officials, county, uh, state legislatures, a little less there at the moment, and with members of Congress. Uh, part of what's happened is 
we've learned that elected officials are not happy campers these days. They are dealing with toxic environments uh, where their bosses control everything. Uh, and uh, so we're getting increasing invitations uh, from, uh, from elected officials at different levels, like school boards. Uh, and so this is a space we're entering now. And, and I'd like to tell you about uh, a question that we, when we do experiential workshops with elected officials, the core question that we begin with is not the stereotypes one, because that's too risky for them. Mm. Mm. It's too risky for them to say, well, people see our side and here's the kernel of truth, because that could be used against them. Um, the, the, the one we begin with with elected officials is this question. What life experiences have influenced your values and beliefs about public policy and public service? Life experiences that have influenced your values and beliefs about public policy and public service. They know the question's coming. They get a few minutes to just prepare and take some notes. And then everybody gets five uninter uninterrupted minutes to tell their story. Every time I've done this, there are tears. Mm. There are tears. There is vulnerability. There is uh, a beloved grandparent who supported them. There was growing up in poverty. There was the death of a spouse that where somebody decided to get. There's family of Holocaust survivors. And, and I want to tell you a story that just represents, for me, this a lot of what we do. In New Hampshire, state legislature, eight reds, eight blues. Uh, some of them pretty polarized folks. That's what I found out afterwards. <laughs> um, but the, the um, Speaker of the House invited them to do this, and they're all leaders. When I walked into the room, the Reds were sitting on one side of the room without masks. The Blues were sitting on the other side of the room, all masked, like <laughs> two teams here. Um, we got them into smaller groups, and we asked that question, life experiences. And I'll, I'll never forget this moment. There was a in my small group, there was a, a blue, a Democrat sitting on my left, who talked about growing up in the foster care system. His, his father had left the family, his mother was paranoid schizophrenic, he was in and out of foster homes, and, and this um, uh, uh, gave him a passion to try to make a difference in his life, and, and eventually in the legislature, so that you know government could do things to help prevent this and to, to deal with these kids and the families. He, he finished, and on my right, a Republican said, oh my God, I don't believe this. I grew up in the foster care system. Wow. And then he told some of his family story, and, his, and he had this passion. His approach was more the private sector, the voluntary sector, the church sector. He got involved in labor unions, getting you know, kids job training and so on. He's skeptical about government uh, solutions. But they had the same root system, the same experience. So, and, and I'll end with a quote when I did this with some members of Congress. A, a guy who said, uh, he said, I'm, when he introduced himself, I'm as conservative as the day is long. And he told his story, he heard the other stories. And there were tears in the room. And then he said, when we asked people, what did you take from this experience? He said, you can't fight somebody in the same way when you know their heart. Mm, yeah, it's so oh, powerful it's so when you beautiful. make it personal. It, and isn't, doesn't this sound like what we totally, do in therapy? Totally, and bringing in Couples history, therapy. a person's personal story, 
Uh, that's always so meaningful rather than staying. And brings the humanity yeah. back in. You know, it's really hard to hate someone that you know on this on this sentimental, mm-hmm. intimate level. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, who you share tears with. Right. Powerful. Yeah. So if we switch gears a little bit, I wonder what kind of advice you would have kind of back to Simone's question about what to do when we're out in the wild again you know like not in the in this formal setting of the workshop but you know mm-hmm. um, we encounter people of differing political beliefs all the time right. and uh, right. I find it difficult when I encounter somebody mm-hmm. who is very conservative I I find myself if if we start going down into the world of politics at all or touching on social issues mm-hmm. like this sort of inner rage start to come up in me mm-hmm. like I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to go yeah. there um, because I'm afraid mm-hmm. I'm going to get angry at this person um, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. so yeah I wonder about what kind of advice you would have in those moments, and I'm sure that same energy has been <laughs> directed at me too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I guess mm-hmm. it's depolarizing yourself to be able to yes. open yes. open yourself up to having a conversation. And also, when is it, when, when to not have the conversation? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so um, I'm now re- remembering uh, way back, we uh, doing a, a workshop in Maryland, where there were about a dozen therapists in, in the room, and it was a skills workshop. Um, and uh, we taught listening skills, expressive skills, and so on. And I asked people at the end what they were taking with them, and a therapist said, you know, I know all these skills, but I never thought to apply them to political conversations. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my response, that uh, what we know is that curiosity is more important than uh, telling people what they should believe. Uh, and so listening and listening to what's below the policy, listening to the value, listening to the fear or the concern. So suppose you to take something that's in the news these days about uh, student loan, college student loan forgiveness. Okay. Um, and you're dealing, and let's say you think it's a good idea, and blah, 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 and you're blue, and a red says, I think people should be responsible for their own decisions. Uh, and uh, and I, I didn't go to college, and but I worked my way, and I didn't get any big relief. Uh, knowing the skills we know as therapists, if you, if you choose to engage, you're probably your best thing to do is to reflect that back. So I can see that really bothers you. It seems unfair. And, um, and wh- wh- why would people make a decision and then they don't have to deal with the consequences of it? And you yourself, you know, didn't, didn't have that advantage. Okay? Uh, and, and so the principle here is connect first and then share your perspective. Mm-hmm. Connect first, then share your perspective. Um, that's the heart of all of our skills. Uh, instead of saying, you say up, I say down, you say left, I say right, you say hot, I say cold. That's how political conversations go. Uh, and uh, so you connect first, and then you, you find something to agree with, if at all possible. Okay, so I might say, and I'm with you on, we don't want to encourage people to be irresponsible in their decision making about expanding in life. We don't want the government bailing everybody out for 
you know, you shouldn't have bought that house, but oh, oh, well, government will bail you out, okay? So, and then the person's going, yes, yes. I mean, that now they see me as a reasonable person because I have paraphrased their view and I've agreed with something. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a kind of a, a skill I, I think I've, I've created a name for you can use if you want. I call pivot. A pivot skill would be something like, uh, can I share my perspective on that? Mm. Okay. Um, and uh, if you get an opening, and then you might say with I messages and without characterizing their perspective, staying on your own side of the boundary, you might say, I, yeah, in, in, in general, I think uh, I agree with you that the government shouldn't be uh, uh, removing people's debt. I think the college thing is a special case. Um, and, uh, and then I might give my reasons for it. Okay. Uh, and, um, uh, and then I might end with saying, but I understand not everybody sees it that way, and I, 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 I accept that mm-hmm. yeah. people could disagree about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see what I've done? Absolutely. On the connecting part, what are some ways that you can um, ask about their values or their personal experiences? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's if, wonderful if they give that up just naturally, yeah. but, but how do you ask sort of what's happening underneath? What sort of question? Yeah, so another maxim of this work is that when there's a passionate political opinion on something, there's usually a story under it. Mm. Important to remember. Uh, And so, yeah, so if you have connected first around, I hear you on this, I hear this is a big deal to you, uh, and they feel you're listening, um, uh, you could, again, without any sense that you're going to, do a gotcha, um, uh, you could ask, uh, you know, what, what uh, I, I, this sounds like it's really important to you, really important to you, and I'm, I'm guessing there's a reason that, I don't know if something in your life or, you know, I really would be interested to hear what, what the background is for you. So I have a relative, for example, who's passionate about, against affirmative action, passionate. Uh, and uh, I, I, I've listened enough that that he yeah, he said something about you know he saw in his work blah 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 so I, I'm really curious about what happened in your work that that led you to this so he gave me a little clue that I followed up it turns out he was in in, um, in law enforcement and he felt that there was some people unqualified African Americans put in to the this was a gov- federal government law enforcement thing that he didn't think we're going to be able to defend him if things got really bad, they, that they weren't skilled enough, and that he could lose his life. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, whether that's accurate or not, I don't know. But it's about his safety. It's about him. It's about his safety. Yeah. yeah. And that it was, it was his safety that added something to the general, this isn't mm-hmm, fair, mm-hmm. we shouldn't put people head in line. There was something there. Uh, but can you see... And, and this is the other thing I'll say, and I deal with couples around this all the time, is to give up the idea that I'm going to convince somebody to change their mind. I think that's yeah. huge. That let that go, yeah. okay? Uh, and to be curious and then, then get my view in. But the thing mostly I've learned, if I connect, if I'm willing to listen, I'm looking for some common ground. Usually there's some common ground about some higher values. Then when I share my view, mostly they don't just dump on it. 
Now, if they were to, so senior, going back to what you said, if somebody's just there to lecture me, then we teach skills for how to exit the conversation. What do you, well, yeah, what do you say in that situation? Well, the, yeah, a whole yeah. range of things, such as, well, this looks like something we don't, uh-huh. we're not going to see eye to eye on. Okay. Uh, if somebody kept at it, I'd say, you know, if we stay in this, I'm afraid it's going to hurt mm. our relationship. And you're more important to me mm. than this difference. And I, I just don't want to. And then the final one, I, I, I teach this in Minnesota, the way you get out of uh, messy conversations. So how do you think the, uh, how, how do you think the Vikings are going to do this year? You know, or to sort of like, change Total the pivot. topic. And the last one is just say, I got to go. <laughs> just yeah. get out of here. Uh, so we actually teach, and this isn't done enough in communication skill training. In all of our workshops, we teach people how to handle difficult moments and get out. Uh, to how to protect yourself in a conversation. Because if you can't protect yourself, ultimately it's too risky to get in. I'm, I'm also really curious how um, you, you make sure that Braver Angels appeals to both conservatives and liberals. Because I could imagine, you know, from what you were saying in the beginning, that it could easily be perceived as, you know, kind of blue therapeutic organization, um, elitism. Elite, yeah, exactly. Yeah, run by academics. Sure, sure, sure. You're one right, of them, right? Right, right. right? Like, sure, 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 sure. Well, a key. It is a challenge, but let me just back up and say a key early decision we made was that the leadership at every level was going to be half red, half blue. Uh. So the board is half red, half blue. Uh, I'm on a leadership group of fourteen. Is half red, half blue. We have state chapters. The leadership is half red, half blue. Um, so uh, we make a big effort there. Uh, having said that, uh, blues are more attracted to these kinds of workshops than reds, which means you have to more actively recruit reds. Okay, uh, and, um, and so because reaching out across diversity is more in the blue wheelhouse. If, if we were doing workshops on patriotism, that would be more in the red wheelhouse. Uh, and so, um, so that's just reality. And we do have tensions within Braver Angels because we have a membership, we have about 11,000, and it's about uh, you know, more than two to one uh, blue to red. And so reds can feel like there's a blue tinge to it. And, and the thing is, you know, as a blue, I know how obnoxious conservatives can be, but I'm much more aware of how obnoxious liberals can be than I was before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it, like correcting speech. Mm. So you're, you're in this. Now, when people have been through a workshop and they join a local alliance, we call them, they do more policy-oriented conversations there. I mean, in other words, they, they've, been, they've been through this. They've learned some skills. Um, and so you'll have a red who, they're talking about immigration, and then uses the term illegal alien, which was the term of use for a long time, but it's no longer in and so a blue will correct them this does not help this does not help and it then they get shut down right Right. so there's internal stuff we have to continually deal with uh and and we try to walk the talk about how we deal with our internal Mm. differences so what's next for braver angels it sounds like you're taking the country by storm what do you guys have in oh, store? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, the Braver Politics one is, is just a year old and taking off. So um, 
uh, I, I've been doing um, Red Blue is a modified Red Blue with a member of Congress uh, locally who invites his constituents, Red and Blue, to come together and they pick the topic and then we do a Braver Angels approach. So we've done seven of those and, uh, and we have it down now. And so he's interested in spreading those around the country so that you have a member of Congress meeting with a more intimate group. And by the way, the member of the Congress becomes part of the group. Uh, and they share their personal stories and other kinds of things. Um, and then with, with this is Representative Dean Phillips, who is a Democrat, a centrist Democrat, uh, we're going to reinvent the congressional town hall because th they have stopped doing them because they've gotten so contentious. Uh, and the town halls at all, every level, like local town halls, uh, Supreme Court or, or um, um, school board meetings, they're what I call 19th century designs. Uh, you have uh, a, a member of Congress or somebody gets up, they go on for a little while, and then people get up one by one, and then they, nowadays, they have a microphone they didn't have in the 19th century, and they, um, they uh, just uh, give speeches, they uh, do criticism, they, they get techy and wonky, and, and they're boring. Or they're too, they're not boring at all, and they're contentious. It's a primitive design. It's a primitive design. Um, and uh, so take school boards. People have the open mic, they get up to the mic, they, they say stuff, and the school board members are not able to say anything except thank you. Next. There's no exchange. There's nothing that communicates to people that they've been heard. Mm -hmm. Anyway, without getting into the details, that we're going to try to reinvent the congressional town hall with modern features, small groups, large groups, report outs, all that kind of thing. Um, and then our, and another, and then I'll stop at one big one that we're launching now is on trustworthy elections. So we've done a piloting of a workshop called a common ground workshop in which people who are divided on a particular topic come together and they go through a set of exercises in which they listen to each other's values and concerns, and why they hold their policy beliefs. And then in separate groups, having listened to the other side, you come up with values, concerns, and solutions that your side agrees on. And that was, uh, this, we've done this with abortion, pro-life, pro-choice. We did it with, uh, with elections in a pilot. Um, having listened to the other side and pre-read, so you know there's some other input, what do I think we believe that they could also believe? And then you present it to the other side and anybody can veto anything. It has to be unanimous. At the end of the, end of the day, unanimous agreement. The abortion group came up with 20 things they agreed on. Better birth control access, sex education in the schools, paternal child health programming, can you see why blues and reds would both want better, pro-life reds would want better maternal oxygen? You don't want your kid to starve? No. Okay? Um, and so 20 solutions. The, the, around the trustworthy elections, they had like 12 or 13 solutions they agreed on in general. So we're going to do that trustworthy elections thing all over the country. And, and this is something now I'm going to describe we've never done before because the elections or the workshops are one-offs and people could join an alliance. But there's going to be people nominated, a red and a blue, from each of the individual workshops to form a larger group who are going to craft a statement to the nation of consensus 
agreements about how do we ensure confidence in our elections uh, going forward. So grassroots up common statement based on all that's been done, and then we'll look for massive attention to that. So that's an that's a new one. And then I well you know, I, I keep saying that's the last, but there's more <laughs> uh, because uh, businesses and companies are coming to us now because they're they're dealing with this, and so we've developed a work in politics um, a workshop that a major company is gonna we're gonna pilot with them. Um, and, um, so there's lots of, there's lots of folks coming to us on this now. Such important work. Yeah. It's really cool. And I want therapists out there to, to hear, to be listening for the, this is just not therapy put out there, but, but to, to listen for the therapeutic stuff, particularly from couples therapy that's involved here that we know that in couples therapy, it doesn't really take off until each person can own their contributions. Okay, so can you hear that in the red blue? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Creating boundaries where you speak for yourself, you don't speak for the other person, you don't characterize the other person's behavior. You you, you talk about what you got on your side of it. the process of couples therapy in which you have to have a container that's safe enough that you don't let people hijack. Mm. Uh, you don't let them interrupt each other. You don't let them escalate in front of you. Um, uh, and you elicit uh, uh, humility, if you will. You elicit, you elicit things that, that in a less safe environment don't come out. You, you, elicit, you elicit vulnerability. And you get them to be a team. And that sounds like a lot of, you know, the work that you're doing now is is to get conservatives and liberals to be a team in certain on certain aspects. Right. That's right. And and, and saying that we're a polarized country then externalizes the problem, just as with a couple that that there are large forces uh, that are leading us to hate each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my most inspiring things that anybody ever told me about, he went to a couple workshops. This is a guy I know locally the most polarized blue I have ever met. <laughs> this guy uh, would rant about conservatives. And he, 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 he ran, uh, he owned apartment buildings, rentals. And he told me that if he sensed that somebody was a red, he would not rent to them. Wow. He, he said reds are not a protected class. <laughs> and so he would just discriminate against mm. Okay. Um, and he took a couple Which of workshops. Which is the very thing he probably hates in a lot of reds. <laughs> of course. Well, that's the thing. There's an old phrase, choose your enemies carefully for you will become like them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he told me, uh, he took a, we learned sometimes you have to take more than one workshop, different kind of workshop to get multiple doses of this, you know, not, not, just, not just one. But he told me with tears in his eyes, and I, I get teary even telling the story. He said that he, that week was talking to a, a woman in a work setting, and he deals with a lot of people in construction and other areas who are reds, okay, and repair people. And, and, and he said, the woman said something, kind of senior, like, like, oh, you know, I don't agree with that at all, is what he was saying inside. And he said, you know, I don't agree with you, and I respect your, you, you know, your right to say that. And then he said, I've been taking these braver angels things, and here's what I've concluded, that powerful people want us to hate each other. Let's not do it. Mm. Mm. Isn't mm-hmm. that something? Yeah. Let's take a stance together. It was a way to kind Let's of align. Let's take a stance together. Yeah. 
just just like a couple we you can align against yeah. your problems yeah yeah instead of letting them come between you i think that's a beautiful takeaway and maybe a good place to end on to kind of remember this 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 humanity the kind of stronger alliances than we think and and i love this idea of sort of thinking about it more along communication like the the couples work rather than getting so attached to the content that we feel like we have to defend our morality and our values, which I think then becomes so big and loaded that it does feel like, you know, you're, you're fighting for justice rather than hearing someone who's like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a losing battle. It's yeah. a losing battle. If, if, you, if they get a sense that you are not, they are not acceptable to you, with their beliefs the closer they are to you like family the more Mm -hmm. they'll fight you yeah but i also want to say before we finish that you can passionately believe in what you believe in this is not being wimpy and you are more influential when you connect and listen to people and express curiosity because then when you say with i messages this is something from my life story from my values, that is really important to me. Um, you're more likely to have somebody mm. hear you and perhaps in some small way be influenced than if you do the self-righteous, I'm going to tell you how the world is, you, you idiot. So important, because then they're in a protective stance and you, don't, you lose them. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for this conversation, this very important conversation. Um, we hope to talk to you again. That's very exciting. Hey, well, this has been, you can tell how much fun I've had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, we, I think we should do a round two it. at some point and check in with Braver <laughs> Angels, see what you guys do yeah, in a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could also do something uh, in the future just about the clinical aspects of this political mm. divide because I've been doing workshops on uh, politically divided family members and how do you, how do you help them uh, maintain a relationship in the face of this, of, of the different tribes that they belong to. Absolutely. Yeah, like, that would be great. It would be really helpful. Yeah. All right, Bill. Okay. Well, thanks so much. My yeah, this great pleasure. Great. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time.